Bienvenue and welcome to Akeem's Dream Show. My name is Akeem the Dream, also known as Brown Sugar Supreme, also known as the Dark Knight Batman. I'm Batman. This show is a variety show because I had a lot of ideas growing up and wrote them down and my curiosity is insatiable. And you'll notice that I have a lot of random ideas and subjects, but I think that's what makes it fun. Variety is the spice of life and I like to keep it spicy and you will find that out very quickly. Remember folks, never grow old with no stories to tell. And it's finally time to spice things up. Let's go. Check this out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of Akeem's Dream Show. And today we're going to be talking about San Francisco, the summer of love, 1967, and kind of what's going on with that city that attracts the weirdest and most creative people and then also has this kind of cult of personality built into it. It also creates some very unstable social situations and all of the above because I just went there for the third time and I'm starting to notice some things about the city that are very pronounced and fascinating not that i've been to every city in north america but uh, some key notable ones in north america i haven't been to yet is new york city and what else boston and philadelphia yeah i was out of those three cities maybe dallas austin louisiana uh, new orleans i've never been to those cities either and a lot of cities in the middle of the country but outside of those five or six big cities i've been to really every big metropolitan area in north america and without doubt San Francisco is the most pronounced and fringe, I would say. Now, New York might have this thing going on as well, so I kind of withhold my judgment on that. But I've been to San Francisco three times, and I'm starting to know some things. And I've become more curious about what the hell's going on there that seems to attract the brightest, most creative, and craziest people. And also seems to foster such a wild uh, spectrum of ideas uh, more progressive in nature, definitely, but I would just call it fringe. Like everything from the geogra- geography, every from the everything from the geography, the social climate, the political climate, the technological climate, uh, is progressive, right? It's pushed up right against the ocean and cr- into the bay, right in the Pacific uh, Pacific Ocean, right? It's 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 definitely socially progressive. Like everything is kind of pushed to the end there. They really. It's it's like a it's like a town of mad scientists. So there's something in the air, there's something in the water that is going on in that town that seems to generate this kind of <laughs> literal utopia, uh, which is an ir- irony because utopias end up always becoming a little bit of a mixed bag, right? San Francisco is a tale of two cities. It's the tale of amazing, massive wealth, both culturally, physically, monetarily, and uh, and socially, but also massive massive uh uh, social problems uh angst uh separation of classes wealth disparity uh it's just like it's like the tale of two towns the tale of two cities quite literally and what is going on there right if you know a little bit about the history of san francisco um obviously was inhabited by the early uh native americans uh 
up until like about the 16 or 1700s until the Spanish came. And then the Spanish took it over and then the Americans fought for it. And then there was the gold rush. After the gold rush, the city of the, the city population essentially just exploded. And that gold rush, I think, is historically and metaphorically interesting because there's been a sequence of gold rushes and ever since then. The second gold, ru- gold rush was culturally, I would say, like the summer of love, what we're going to talk about in the 1960s with regards to psychedelics, free love, summer of love, uh, cultural progressive fluidity and expression. And then the third gold rush has been tech, right? Silicon, all the production of silicon in the Silicon Valley, which created HP, which created, which created Apple, which created Google. And right, and these are the biggest, most powerful companies on the face of the planet. So it's gone through, first it was gold, then it was the culture, now it's tech. And I think that these waves and these, this energy that's coming out of this place seems to attract. If you remember a few episodes, I talked about how uh, Nikola Tesla's uh, quote, his famous quote about understanding the secrets of the universe comes down to understanding frequencies, vibrations, and uh, energy. And I went on to say in that episode about how I think not just uh, materials and molecular physics and all these things have these properties, but I think areas and cities and and ge- geographies have these same vibra- vibrations and frequencies and energies. And San Francisco definitely has its own vibration, its own energy, its own frequency that seems to just attract the most crazy, interesting, and creative people from all over the planet. So I'd like to kind of start off as a jumping point about 1967 when it came to the second gold rush, because gold, obviously it's gold. It's obvious as to why people wanted gold coming there, right, in the 1950s. And it's interesting. People obviously found gold, which is what spurred the rush. But the people who got rich in the gold rush were the people who serviced the gold rush, right? So it wasn't the it wasn't the people looking for gold. It was the people servicing the people looking for gold. So companies like Levi Jeans came out of that because they were making they were making jeans and pants and clothes for all the gold miners. And that company is still around today, right? They're massive. I have two or three pairs of Levi jeans, right? The Bank of America came out of the uh, Great Fire, I think, of, uh, yeah, the Great Earthquake and Fire of like 1908, 1905. Some Italian immigrant went around San Francisco offering out loans to people who were uh, lost everything in the fire or the earthquake of San Francisco about 110, 120 years ago. He just went around, he had a little bit of money and he was offering up loans and he was just doing handshake deals and he built up a huge business by just being a good, honorable person. I forget his name, but he was an Italian guy. That company became the Bank of America. <laughs> so obviously he didn't make, uh, that's not related to one of these rushes, but it was just a natural disaster. But someone going there and being like, hey, this is a huge opportunity. Let me just kind of help the community. And speaking of helping the community, I think that this ties into my number and the year of Summer of Love. 1967 is also my angel number, 67. 67 is my angel number because it's just the number I see everywhere. And it's just the number that just keeps coming towards me. Like, you ever seen that movie 23 uh, with Jim Carrey where he just can't not see the number 23 everywhere? It just ends up following him. It's almost insidious, but it's not. It's like comforting. For me, that's exactly what 67 is. So some people have asked me, like, Akeem, what is 67? Why do you have 67 on your Instagram bio? Why do you have it tattooed on your ankle? And this is why. Like, this is just my number. And I find it interesting that in the last kind of, I would say, five to ten years of my life, I've become become more warm to hippie culture, hippie ideas. Uh, And when I say hippie, I just mean like kind of like, 
new wave uh, open ideas about alternative ways of living, let's say. Like I'm pretty conservative and traditional socially and just like the way that I want to have a family and kids and all that kind of stuff. But I also am still open to, because I'm a creative person, I think this is exactly what it kind of it caters to in San Francisco is if you're creative, you're just attracted to creative people, creative energies, creative towns. And that's exactly this through line. I think this is exactly why I'm pulled there. And by hook or crook, whether it's my best friend moving there or whatever, so the energies I'm talking about, and the, maybe it's the water or the cows, I don't know. But something is pulling me in that direction, uh, just culturally and just from a fascination level. But anyways, back to 67 and the summer of love. So 67 and 1967, that was like the peak of the hippie kind of movement in the States. So this is when some of the best music of all time came out, right? Like I'm talking the Beatles, uh, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, the Mamas and the Papas, right? Cream, uh, Jimi Hendrix Experiment. Uh, what else do we got here? Jefferson Airplane, Buffalo Springfield, Traffic, Roy Orbison, uh, Scott McKenzie, the song that started off this podcast, San Francisco, Marvin Gaye, right? So anyways, you get what I'm saying here. This is the, some of the best music of all time came out of this year. It was just something in the water that year. And I think it has something to do with my creativity. The reason I'm drawn to that number. And as far as numerology goes, like take it for what it's worth. I looked up what the number 67 meant. And this is what it is. Effectively, 67 in numerology, it's just an energy that says you need to provide an environment for the family and secure an environment for the family that is healthy and happy. And you're going to do it by ways of extreme conscientiousness and pragmatism as your modus operandi. Now, when it comes to the hippies, how does this kind of translate with the the numerology 67 with the summer of love in 1967? Well, I think you can connect the dots to secure an environment for the family with conscientiousness and pragmatism as your modus operandi. Conscientiousness, the quality of wishing to do one's work or duty well and thoroughly. So this is just about doing the work good. But what is this? What is pragmatism? Attitude or policy? So just having an attitude. (laughs) So having an attitude to want to do the work good. So let's tie this all together. 67 essentially just means having an attitude to want to do the work good to provide a good environment for the family. Well, the hippies are all about like making love, not war, right? The flower children, openness, tolerance. It's kind of like, I don't want to be part of middle class society. I want to be part of, I want everyone to be inclusive. I want everyone to be kind of open. Uh, I want people to be uh, tolerated for who they are. Now, that kind of relates really well with what they were saying here with number 67, which is a pragmatism, right? Just an an attitude. These people definitely have an attitude (laughs) and conscientiousness, like doing the work well. Now, I'm trying to square that in my brain about what makes the hippie movement make love, not war, being tolerant, being open, uh, kind of rejecting modern middle class norms as doing the job well. Part of me thinks that it's just being obvious, (laughs) about the cause so maybe it's like hey the only way we're going to be uh known and respected for wanting to do this for our family and you could say that this is all be done in the name of the family right this hippie movement is all everyone is their family everyone who wants to be with them is one of them so they're going to create this environment for them and they're going to do it with an attitude and they're going to do it well (laughs) with flowers in their hair 
Back to the Summer of Love. The year 1967 was designated as the Summer of Love when somewhere between 75,000 and 100,000 youth flooded 25 blocks in San Francisco's Haight-Asbury district. Beforehand, the neighborhood was the home to a small community of hip residents interested in art, music, theater, and literature. Afterward, it was known worldwide as a center for countercultural activities. For many, the Summer of Love calls to mind an ambitious and an attempt at a cultural revolution when America's youth champion values like peace, love, freedom, and freedom of expression. So I was watching a little bit of interviews uh, and also just like watching, you're just reading kind of personal notes of like what that Summer of Love was all about. Like there was a few concerts, there was like a bunch of people hanging out in the fields and in the parks. But they didn't really even know. <laughs> it's like gravity brought them out of their houses and just people just there's a groundswell of people that were brought to that area. But there wasn't necessarily like an event. Like nobody called out to the nation being like, come to San Francisco, come to the Haight Ashbury district. It was just like gravity that brought them there. Like, and you might sound you might think I'm full of shit. Like, this just look it up. Be like Summer of Love, what started it? And you'll like you might notice some trends and stuff that led up to it, but it was just kind of like this confluence of the year, 1967 the peak of the hippie movement, the peak of all this beautiful music, and then just people coming out there in droves. And I think that number has something to do with it. it. has something to do for me being interested in it. Because go figure, when I'm in San Francisco three days ago, we're driving through the Haight-Ashbury district, and I felt, like, not that I didn't feel alive the whole trip, but I was just like, whoa, this is different. This energy in the street is different. I don't know. It's very mystic. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. It's very, very interesting. So for me, the summer of love was like a homecoming for this collective consciousness to rally for an environment in which the world could become your family. You know, radical openness and acceptance, they became the key, followed by a rally to support your newfound family. So I think that this is what the number 67 is about. This is what the summer of love is about. And then this is really what San Francisco ends up becoming about, right? This this little area, Haight-Ashbury, which is the second gold rush for San Francisco, just becomes this huge groundswell of exploration and openness and creativity like if you're a creative person this is your tribe right not everyone's creative so not everyone's going to go there and give a shit about this kind of stuff but i find it fascinating because during the summer of love uh, one of the kind of key features of it was the drug use and the drug use was so profound and prevalent that it scared a lot of people because these drugs were new um, and not new in the world, but new in the public consciousness, at least in the United States, because things like LSD, things like magic mushrooms, right? Things like even, I'm not sure if MDMA was around back then, but those two for sure were like new to the public consciousness. And old conservative types were like, whoa, what is that? Understandably, right? <laughs> All of a sudden, little Susie's not listening to us anymore. And she's like, whoa, whoa, you know, and I don't blame them. Like part of me would be a little bit confused too. Like, whoa, what is going on here? Until uh, all these drugs were kind of like really well researched and understood, it scared a lot of people. So it went from being like this like healthy, not healthy, but like kind of like fun drug that complemented this whole attitude and spirit of the summer of love to like a schedule one drug overnight. Right. And the famous drug, famous quote from Timothy O'Leary, who was like one of the founding fathers of psychedelic acceptance and research, he was like a scientist from Harvard who ended up getting kicked out because he was just like so into the scene he had this famous uh, line he said turn on tune in and drop out and that was all about that was essentially the summer of love in a nutshell turn on tune in and drop out that's a very very interesting slogan right on in and out <laughs> that's what those drugs do to you 
and turn and tune and drop. So here we, this is just uh, all to say that this second gold rush in San Francisco and the use of psychedelic drugs, which I think is not kind of a coincidence when it comes to creativity because having taken these drugs myself, acid and mushrooms, I've definitely noticed that it's aided my creativity. Like I'm a pretty naturally creative person. Uh, you may argue with based on this listening to this show, but I like to think that I have creative instincts. And those instincts, I think, are fed and cultivated and cultured by very, very respectful and recreational and purposeful and intentional use of psychedelics. I think they kind of go hand in glove, in my opinion. I'm going to turn on and tune in our man, Mark Andreessen. He is a very, very fascinating character. He's one of the founders of a venture capital firm, but he works with a lot of Silicon Valley types. He lives in the Valley. I love this interview he does with Joe Rogan because he talks a lot about kind of some of the through lines when it comes to uh, connecting the dots between LSD use and modern technologies like AI, which I think is super fascinating. So this guy's super successful, super smart. Let's see what he has to say about this whole movement. Here's a fun thing. So, you know, if you draw a map of San Francisco at the time, the, the, he describes the book Chaos, this uh, this LSD clinic, right? And this, yeah. free, this, free, this free clinic in the, in the heart of the Haight-Ashbury where they were doing the LSD experiments, dosing mm-hmm. people with LSD. If you draw like an eight square block, basically, you know, radius around that or whatever, like right, right around there in San Francisco, that's ground zero for AI. Really? It's the same place. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. It's the same place. It's there the, was a lot it's, of it's acid the same thing. It's basically right sta- it's basically Berkeley and Stanford, and it's basically San Francisco and uh, and, uh, and and uh, and and Berkeley. So, by the way, also this big you know, movie Oppenheimer coming out, you yeah. know, tells the whole story of that and all the development of the nuclear bomb. I heard and that movie's amazing. Espionage. I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. But once again, it's like that. If you I'm reading a book on that right now, and it's like like all the communist spying and all the nuclear scientists they were spying on were all in those exact same areas of, of Stanford, San Francisco, and Berkeley. Wow. Like it's like this. It's like the same zone. So we like have our own. We have our own like domestic attractors of of sort of brilliant crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's just coincidence or correlation. I think it's sort of you know you've got these places. This is this is why San Francisco. This is why San Francisco is able to be so you know incredibly bizarre, you know, and so yeah. incredibly dysfunctional, but yet somehow also so rich and so successful. Is basically it's like this attractor for like the smartest and craziest people in the world, right? And they kind of all slam together and do crazy stuff. Why don't these smart crazy people get together and figure out that whole people pooping on the streets thing? Because they like it. Do they like it? Yeah, they want it. Really? Yeah, because it makes you feel it makes you feel good, right? You go outside and it's like people are, you know, because what what what's the alternative would be like locking people up? And of course, that would be bad. Um, and so, yeah, it makes them feel good. It makes them feel good that yeah. people are just camped out on the streets. Yeah, because well, because before 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 <laughs> that happened, there was there were forced institutionalization, right? The, the 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 origin of the current crisis is is shutting down the institutions. Right in, in the seventies, that used used to be forced institutionalization of people with you know those kinds of problems, well, it, and, and so, so it makes all these... of it because a lot of it is drug addiction and just people that just want to just get high all the time. Yeah, would that be forced institutionalization? You know, and just listening to that, you ever, you never you ever thought about this? Like obviously psychedelics make you trip, right? You go into hallucinogenic states, it starts rewiring your brain. I've heard things like doing a hero dose of magic mushrooms or LSD. It's the equivalent of 1,200 hours of therapy or 120 hours of therapy when it comes to just like how it rewires and recircuits your brain for like positive effects, which is why, although it's not legalized, it is legalized in therapeutic uses and clinics and stuff for people who want to like overcome or who are diagnosed with depression or PTSD and all these things. It's only a matter of time until this thing is legalized. In my opinion, 
I think it's just going to be a matter of the government coming out with a actual policy with around health and uh, um, uh, what, what do you call it? like a fact sheet of information where it's like, this is what you should do. These are the health. These are the risks. These are the benefits. Kind of like what they did with marijuana in Canada, where they said, these are the risks. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what you should do on it. This is how you help take it safely. These are the guidelines I think they're doing behind the closed doors. And in the next two or three years, we're going to see mushroom stores. At least I hope. And I'm going to invest big time. Hopefully I hit the stock before it goes public. Or the second it goes public. But this, all this talk about tripping and stuff, um, and not tripping, but like the powerful effects of LSD when it comes to the creative types that seem to flock to San Francisco. Have you ever wondered if computers can trip or AI, artificial intelligence? Is there a computer form of a magic mushroom or an LSD that a computer software program can take that would make a computer trip? Like imagine if LSD was available in computer form for chat GPT. <laughs> and it just started to glitch out. <laughs> and it started, if your computer that can see you and knows you, like the machine learning aspect of it, could trip and hallucinate. But the summer of love, and I'll just kind of tie this episode up with some of my kind of takeaways from being in San Francisco. Went through Haight-Ashbury, mini golfing, had an In-N-Out burger. But uh, highly recommend you go check out, everyone's been to San, I think most people have been to San Francisco. Went to, uh, drove by the Google campus, and I was careful to not say too many things out loud because I know Big Brother's listening all the time. And they're listening right when you least expect it. So that campus is crazy. Like it's probably, I don't know, 15 city blocks. Like this is only, it looks like a university, Google, like the headquarters. When you think about the area like San Francisco, it's fringe. And fringe, no pun intended for the festivals coming up in Edmonton uh, by the time you're listening to this. There's something that's to be said about like when you push it as a society, like when, when I, when I mean, what I mean by it is like the boundaries, when you push, like how far can we take this? How far can we take social exper experimentation with like less crime, low crime, no incarceration? How far can we push it towards the coast with like our buildings and our cities and building these skyscrapers along with these like really cool houses and the hills and the hills in the city, like they really push it on the engineering front with the construction. I noticed like a lot of buildings were on the sides of cliffs and stuff. They push it with the technology. There's a lot of bioscience. There's a lot of chemistry. There's a lot of things going on with machine learning and AI and social media. Like they're pushing the technology. They're pushing the society. They're pushing the social aspect. They're pushing the construction. They're pushing the real estate. And I mean, there's something to be said for, hey, listen, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And I think that's that's why that area seems to you know pump out so pump out so much success, right? Because if you do take a risk and big risks like they take down there with all this venture capital money, if you land on an idea that seems to just hit the cultural zeitgeist and be popular and successful, like a Facebook or whatever, or Google or a Tesla or whatever, yeah, you can be a multi-billionaire and change the world. Like Steve Jobs was deep into this shit, right? And it takes that. That's the kind of culture that be, ends up becoming the most powerful draw for re, really that area rules the world if you think about it between all the companies that, that work in that area all the people that work in that area all the billionaires all the influence uh right it's the cultural hub of a wet of the west when it comes to ideas and generation because a lot of creativity comes out of there and it's also the technological hub of the west of the world all the technology that comes out of the that that is prominent in the world started in that Haight Asbury district, like uh, Mark Andreessen was talking about, within an eight ten square kilometer radius, whether it be Berkeley or Stanford or downtown San Francisco, 
all the technological breakthroughs come out of that area. And it could be in a garage, it could be in a living room, it could be in a basement, it could be in a, in a warehouse. They're started there and then they go around the world and IP gets copied by governments, by spies, by whoever. But I think that's the kind of culture, like you have to think about, you know, listen, when you push it that hard, of course, there's going to be some downsides. And obviously you must have heard in the news that like San Francisco is going through a huge crime wave right now. It's very politically unstable, it's not very safe. But I think that is the residue and it's a feature, not a bug of a system that says, let's push it as far as we can go. And if you're proper creative, it's like being funny. Uh, being funny cannot have rules. Humor cannot have rules. And creativity, if you're really going for it, whether it be in business, arts, or otherwise, it can't have rules either. And I think a city like that, they're playing with fire a bit, which is why it's dangerous to go there. But it's also like, whoa, you can really crush it and change the world forever. Like, look at what Steve Jobs did, right? Change the world forever. Put a dent in the universe like he was trying to do. So you got to take the crunchy with the smooth, I guess. And with that being said, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Akeem's Dream Show. And until next time, I'll see you in Haight-Ashbury. Put some flowers in your hair. Peace.